Better now? Sweet. All right. So it's been crazy. Uh, I know that uh, maybe you're bored right now sitting at home. Like, you're just waiting. When can I get out of this lockdown? And I just want to tell you that you're not alone. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty uh, crazy. We didn't expect, we didn't anticipate that it's going to be this long, but hang in there. Uh, I'm pretty sure, and I'm sure that all of us, we're going to go through this together. And uh, this whole thing is going to come to an end, and uh, we're going to come out of this, and it's going to be worth it, all right? And uh, yeah, I have to admit, like this morning, it has been pretty weird to me, like uh, being uh, working from home. And especially like when, you're, uh, when you need to share with uh, people when you're preaching and you're finding like new material, uh, working from home doesn't really help because like you don't have, you don't develop much new experience, right? How's your day? Well, you know, it's just been sitting at home. And as a matter of fact, like this morning, it's like the weird thing for me. Like for the longest time, I started wearing my jeans again. Uh, after like for a full month just wearing my PJs, you know? Uh, you, you can relate with me, right? Like uh, actually sales of like uh, lounging clothes, like PJs has been increasing and sales of like uh, dress, formal dresses, you've been going down. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the new normal these days, right? And uh, today I'm gonna continuing about talking about the topic life. And if you see the word if, is inside of the word life. Because as we believe that inside of life, there's always uncertainties. As a matter of fact, there's this saying uh, by some unknown sources. It says that the only thing that is certain in life is uncertainties. You know, there's no avoiding it. It doesn't matter uh, whatever that you are, it doesn't really matter like whether you're educated, not educated, doesn't really matter what kind of income that we're having. It is a, cer a certainty in life that uncertainties will come in our lives. But the problem with uncertainties is that a lot of times when you're having uncertainties in life is that you feel a lot of pressure, right? Like how many of you enjoy the whole process of interviewing for a job and then after that you have to wait like for a few days, right? I don't enjoy that ho whole entire process at all. You know, uh, one, one thing is that you start feeling anxious, you started, started losing sleep, right? And uh, how many of you started developing this kind of habit that every five minutes you will check your phone as if something has changed, right? And if your phone rang immediately, you, you pick up that phone hoping that this is gonna be the answer. As a matter of fact, there has been studies uh, by the British, like they, they uh, divided a group of people into two. Uh, the first half, they, t they tell them that you have a 50-50% chance of getting shock, electric shock. And the other 50% of people, they said that you are going to be uh, electrocuted. And guess what? The first group experienced a worse time than the second group because they are, they are having a, an additional uh, agony of not knowing what's going to happen. So uncertainties is actually sometimes even worse than uh, anticipating something that is bad that, that is coming. But as a matter of fact, I believe that when uncertainties are coming in our lives, sometimes our life is shaking so hard, you know, and that is a lot of times where we're broken, where people make it or break it is usually during the uncertain times, when they're being faced with a lot of pressure, when they're being faced with a lot of challenges, and things started to rattle and starts to get scary. 
that is usually when things starts to break. You know, um, there's this very interesting story about Chuck Yeager. Uh, many of you probably have heard about the story about this person before. But in 1947, in the 1940s, people believed that there's no way on earth that human can, can uh, fly faster or can move faster than the speed of sound. That's what they believed before. And they believed this theory before because they believed that there will be such a big drag trying to move past the speed of sound that you will be actually torn apart by the friction, by the drag that you're experiencing. And sure enough, in 1947, uh, when they're trying to do a bunch of tests, a lot of pilots, and one of the pilots is uh, Chuck Yeager, as they're approaching the speed of sound, the, the uh, plane started to violently shook and the uh, gauges started going haywire and crazy that a lot of people are stopping and people are thinking that it's impossible. Men are not meant to fly faster than the sound, uh, th than the speed of sound. But that whole theory changes. In 1947, when Chuck Yeager, the first person ever, when he flew his plane, nearing the speed of sound and he decided to push through and suddenly there's a loud thundering noise boom that can be heard from the land and from he flew and after that moment all the violent shaking of the plane stops not just because it blew up but because the plane apparently now enters into a new dimension where the flight is smooth and flew faster than the speed of sound now, I believe that a lot of times in our life, you know, when you're being faced with challenges, uncertainties, pressure, sometimes there's a tendency that we just want to give up because things are just so violent in our lives. It shakes every core of our beliefs sometimes. Like, I don't know what's going to happen and I just feel like giving up, you know. But I want to encourage every single one of us, knowing that your breakthrough, our breakthrough usually will come during the middle of the most intense part you know, a pressure that we're facing. Hang in there. And I believe that together with the power of God, you know, we're going to go through this whole, uh, this whole pressure and the, this whole thing together. The problem is that a lot of times, you know, when we're under pressure, we're not so good about responding to external situation. This is a fact. You know, when we're being... Uh, under pressure, when you feel anxious, usually we're not that good in responding. I got uh, my daughter when I first taught her how to bike, you know. Uh, when we did it in a very short period of time, in a very uh, safe place, she understand how to brake. She understand the concept about biking. But the moment that we took her into a place that is a little bit strange to her, it suddenly becomes so scary that when it comes time to break, you know, she panicked and instead of uh, breaking, she just lift all her hands and feet up to the air. And that is usually like the response that we have, like when we are panicking mode. And I, I wanted to know, like, is this actually uh, a behavior? Is this tendency is actually a, a tendency that is normal? Is it happening to all of us? What's the reasoning behind this? I, I'm a type of person that enjoys to understand about things. So bear with me. This is going to uh, get a little bit nerdy. Uh, but it is so interesting, uh, I promise you. So 
you will see in your screen right now a picture of brain, you know? And inside of this brain, if you see the yellow part, that, that is our amygdala. That is basically what the primitive brain is. As you're being born, that part of your brain is already fully developed. It is needed for survival. And the outer layer of your brain is your uh, prefrontal uh, pre uh, cortex. That is like your uh, more developed brain as you're entering it into adulthood. This is the part that will start uh, growing. The problem is that a lot of times our stimuli will get into the amygdala first. And when we sense threat, you know, it shuts down any input from the prefrontal cortex into uh, our response system, which makes it impossible for us to react in a, such a logical manner. And knowing this, I just want to let all of us know that it's not just one person. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's all of us. We're programmed this way, and this is how our brain works, that we're not so good about responding under pressure, you know? And uh, they actually have a term for this. They call it amygdala hijack. That is when our primitive brains just shut off, and we're just responding in a panic mode that we don't really think about things clearly. Now, clearly, right? The more that we can avoid this kind of situation, the more that we can avoid panic, the more that we can avoid... Uh, responding because we're just panicking, panicking in life, the better that we're going to be. As a matter of fact, there's th this word of God that came to Joshua. And I really like this verse because this word came to Joshua right after Moses died. And it's such a big burden for Joshua that, that he know that he's going to be the person that will let the rebellious nation into the promised land. And as he sees in front of him, the land is beautiful and big, but also like the challenges that is sitting in front of him is huge. You know? And this is what the word of God uh, said to Joshua, verse 8 until 9. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. I love this. Because it gives us, it shines such a truth that a lot of times, the thing that will break us is our discouragement. It's the feeling. And a lot of times, you know, uh, I, I'm a person that is also like included in this category I typically do not like feelings. I do not like to give a lot of credits to feelings. But obviously knowing how we work and obviously knowing what the Word of God is saying, obviously our feeling has a very good correlation with how we act. And that's why it is said in the Word of God, be courageous. But I believe that it's not just talking about feelings. You know? Because there's a, a, there's a difference. It is important for us to, to feel secure. But there's a difference between feeling secure and being secure. How many of you are afraid when you're riding like uh, roller coasters? You know, some, some, okay, we have some people here that is afraid of a roller coaster. But do you know it that actually riding the roller coaster itself is actually safe? Most likely safe. 
Okay, most likely. It is safe, right? How many of you, okay, that is talking about you don't feel secure when you're riding the roller coaster, although you know that it is safe. You don't feel secure, all right? It is important. But being secure is completely different. How many of you feel afraid when you're riding the car without wearing your seatbelt? You probably know in your brain that it's not safe, but when you're riding without the seatbelt, sometimes you don't even remember. You don't even feel like it, like it, although you know that it's not safe. So there, clearly, there's a difference between feeling and being secure. And I believe that in our lives, we need to have both. We need to be secure, and at the same time, our feeling of security needs to reflect that so that we can make the right decision in life. Amen? So the question is that, how do we develop this sense of security that is not just going beyond, that is not just a feeling base, but is, it is actually going beyond the feel of secure? And I'd like to uh, read, I'd like all of us to read together in 1 Samuel verse 17. <clears throat> this is a story uh, that all of us, we have heard about it <clears throat> before. It's the story of David when he's faced with Goliath, but let, let us just read this passage. Now the Philistines gathered the forces for war and assembled in, at Soko in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistine. The Philistine occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley in between them. <clears throat> a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was <clears throat> six uh, cubits and a span. Well, that's a fancy word of saying that he's about like 10 feet tall. Very tall guy. NBA, typically like seven feet. This guy here is higher. All right. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I, am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him. Come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subject and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day, I defy the army of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's word, Saul and all the Israel were dismayed and terrified. And here's the interesting thing. For 40 days... The Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand and does the same thing. And the whole drama played over and over and over again where the Israel, when they heard the word, they become dismayed, they become scared, and yet they do nothing. Now the question that I wanted to ask is, why? Why doesn't anyone want to do, to do anything here? Why do people choose to be scared and not to do anything? And I believe that the, the answer behind uh, this whole thing is that the status quo sometimes provides us with a sense of security. But as a matter of fact, a status quo provides us with a false sense of security. Not doing anything, you know, you know usually is the worst thing that you can do. Not doing anything sometimes makes us feel like, oh, okay, I don't know what to do, but I feel it's pretty safe for not doing anything. I know it doesn't change my, the, the circumstances of my life, but I can assure you, like, if you know some problem is coming your way and you're hiding your head under the sand, 
it's not going to make things better for you. It's time for us to really rethink uh, about what is going on and ask for wisdom from God about what can we do. How many of you uh, know the, uh, the company named Kodak? I'm surprised that people here uh, still, still know uh, Kodak. But yeah, before Instagram, before Facebook, and before all those companies, there's this company that is called Kodak. You know, uh, probably today you heard about Kodak coming back to life again. And they're not coming back as Instagram or as uh, some cool company, but they're coming back up as a pharmaceutical company because they still have a lot of labs that used to, produ uh, that used to be used to produce film. That's right. Kodak used to be a film industry and not a film industry the way that you're thinking about movies and stuff. But, but back then, back then, long, long time ago when dinosaurs were still around people, you know, when you want to take a picture, you have to have this roll of film, the stuff that you see. This strange ball-looking thing, you put it inside of your camera. What is a camera that is like a, like a, like a cell phone, but bigger, you know, thicker, you know? Oh, there, there's DSLR. So probably you know. Those DSLR before, you know, that your, your camera used to use this kind of thing. You pop it in. And you probably have like 36 of them, 36 pictures that you can take using this. And then after that, you have to take them out, put put a new one in. And this is the business of Kodak before Instagram and before your smartphone. And they used to make a lot of money and they used to be really famous. And there's a famous saying that, is it a Kodak moment? You know, these days, it is, that, is it Instagram moment? Like we keep on uh, collecting like Insta, Insta snap, Insta shot, you know, back then it's Kodak, it's the word, it's the trendy thing, all the young people know about it, kind of makes me feel old right now, but yeah, in 2012, they declared bankruptcy actually, and a lot of times we think like, oh yeah, it's because they cannot compete with a new uh, younger people, they cannot compete with a new and younger technology. But let me get you straight with this. Actually, it's not the, the digital camera that killed Kodak. It's not because of that. Because back in 1975, you know who, the, who was the first per, uh, company that invented the digital camera? It was Kodak. In 1975, they actually invented the first digital camera. And from 1975 until the year 2000, they did nothing with that invention. As a matter of fact, they, they told the engineer that uh, invented the digital camera for the company saying that, that's cute, that's cute. You know, and uh, the word that's cute is probably the worst uh, compliment that you can give to an engineer. Like, that's cute, like, it means that, yeah, it's great, but it's a novelty that that's not gonna go anywhere. But don't tell anyone. That's what they told the engineer. And maybe we think like, oh yeah, the digital camera is probably one thing, but also like there's like Facebook and Instagram that killed them. Not really, because in year 2001, they bought Ophoto, and it's a digital uh, sh photo sharing uh, company. And that is actually like six, no, eight years before Facebook actually come into the picture, right? It's long time before Facebook and Instagram came, came into the, the picture and they already bought Ophoto. And what did they did with this uh, digital photo sharing company is that they're trying to uh, encourage people 
to, sh to print more digital, uh, more physical pictures. The entire strategy behind Kodak is that they wanted to keep status quo where they can use their cash cow, which is the physical printing of picture. They want to keep that as much as possible. They do not want to change their model that eventually they become irrelevant and die. Now, how many of us, you know, we like status quo so much that it throws us, that it makes us not being able to move past of who we were. It makes us freeze and not able to go further and beyond and to reinvent ourselves. Because we're too scared that we're not going to be the top dog anymore the way that Kodak did. But I can tell you, status quo only provides us with a false sense of security. And in this case, Kodak moment ended in year 2012 when they finally shut up their door and, and finally realized that status quo is not their friend. And I think that it's time for us to realize that status quo is not an option. So the next thing, in 1 Samuel verse 17, verse 23 until 25, as David was talking with his brother, he was supposed to deliver cheese. He was uh, supposed to be the Instacart uh, back in his age, you know, the Uber Eats. He was delivering food to his brothers. Uh, and he was talking with his brothers. And during this time, during the 40 days where Goliath did the same thing every morning. This moment, David saw it. And Goliath, the Philistine, the champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever Israel saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy the Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Now this brings me to another question. Apparently, like the Israelites, they're sick and tired of hearing this guy taunting Every single day for 40 days, being scared, being pressured, you know? And as a matter of fact, they realize that there's a big reward. And that really makes me think, like David was not an experienced army. How is it possible that throughout the entire army of Saul, it, it is even mentioned that David was still young, he was inexperienced. How is it possible that throughout the entire army, is it possible that there's no one that can defeat Saul? I don't think that logically that makes any sense. I believe that there will be people who are skillful enough to have a chance against Saul. You know? It doesn't say in the Bible that there's no one in the land that, can defeat, that cannot defeat Saul. But everybody in the land assumed that they cannot. Because I believe that a lot of times the reason why no one stepped up is because sometimes our crowd, the crowd that we're staying with, feels much more secure than stepping into the danger zone. It's because like the words of crowd sometimes gives us the, the, 
the reason, the thinking that it must be the truth. Because everybody said that it's impossible. We think that it is impossible. Because everybody said that we're doomed. We believe that we're doomed. You know? How many of us were like that? That because we're just hearing so many bad news, that we're just believing that there's no hope for us, that we keep on stewing, we keep on cooking inside of our misery, thinking that there's no way out, and we're just duped, we're just broken, and we just finally give up in life. That is what, what is going on in the midst of the Saul army in those days. They know that they're in a bad situation. They know that great reward is going to be there for conquering this giant. But why everybody doesn't have the confidence in their life is because like sometimes the word of crowds really bring strength and really bring an image thinking that I can do it because everybody said that it, it's impossible. So I want to encourage each one of us to really rethink like what is the word that we're letting marinate instead of ourselves? And there's also this kind of thing, you know, like sometimes, how many of you have heard the, the term hurt mentality? Not, not hurt like hurting, hurt like sheep, cows, you know, hurt. They, they tend to flock together because that's how they feel security. They, they feel secure when there's like a, a herd of sheep, cattle coming together. That's how they survive. And a lot of times, we too as humankind, we feel that way too. That we feel safe and we feel secure because, hey, all of our friends are experiencing the same thing as we are. You know, everybody around us are not doing anything. That's why we should not do anything. I feel secure standing with my friends. As a matter of fact, we can be in a very bad situation and we're standing with our friends and yet we feel better. Right? Even though that there's a way out, if we're seeing like a lot of people are not going to the way out, we feel secure in here because... There is a bunch of people. But that is exactly the kind of questioning that I want all of us to have. That sometimes the crowd doesn't really tell us the truth. Sometimes just because something is popular doesn't make it right. Sometimes it's just because like that's what you heard so many times. It doesn't make it the truth. And it's time for us to get the real sense of security that goes beyond just feeling, but also actually being. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, finally, David was brought to Saul. And David said that, I am going to kill this giant. This man, this little boy that didn't have a lot of experience, he has the courage. And he said that he's going, going to get out. And Saul was the person that was trying to talk him out, out of uh, his proposal. He said, you are not able to put out, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck and rescued the sheep from its mouth. Now I don't know what you think, like what, which one is scarier, a lion, a bear, or Goliath. I think all of them are probably scary, but if I'm being faced with a lion, I probably also don't know what to do. Right? Being faced with a bear, and some people said that oh, it's probably a small bear. It's still a bear, man. Still scared. 
And I bet that it's the same thing for David. The first time that he faced the bear, the first time that he faced the lion, I do not think that he's like, ah, it's just a small bear, it's just a small lion. There's no such thing as just getting used to a lion and a bear. But David, from his experience, from being scared in the beginning, he developed this confidence because he experienced that it's not that difficult, that he can say, your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the army of God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And I, th I think that this really gives us the clue that David's confidence, that his security, you know, comes from knowing the Lord and not know only coming from the hearing, not only coming from like uh, listening, not only coming from the crowd, but he actually experienced where God is saving him. He knows the danger of fighting a lion. He knows the danger of uh, fighting a bear. And yet he experienced victories after victories in his life. His security goes beyond the feeling. So if all of us, we want to have this confidence, if we want to have this security in life, I think that it got to come out of not only hanging out with Christians. I think it should come out of experiencing God through the smaller little things in our lives. When you're facing circum uh, circumstances, uh, uncertainties in your life, I think those can be your bears. They're, those can be your lions that is preparing you to face Goliath. Maybe even today, the whole situation of the pandemic is sort of like shaking your life and you don't know what to do. This could be our training ground where God is saying that this is basically your lion and bear. And as you're going through it, you will experience that I am a living God that will help you throughout this whole experience. David's security came from experience. And his security is not just the feeling, but also the being. And a lot of times, people are saying like, oh, you know what? Uh, David was able to defeat uh, the, the giant because he's so big. The bigger the, the enemy is, the bigger the target is, right? And David was just basically lucky because people are not thinking clearly that his enemy is big. But, whoa, wait on. Read it in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. It, it was given in such a big detail about Goliath. And I believe that the detail was given to us to give us the real picture here of, of what's going on. It says that Goliath was, was nine foot nine. He's tall. Very tall. He has 125 pounds. That's about like uh, 60 kg armor on his body made out of bronze. That's really heavy, you know. And on top of that, it says that he got a bronze helmet. And I don't know what you have in your image, mental image, when you're thinking about a helmet. But I think like a helmet back then is pretty, pretty self-explanatory that it will uh, protect the skull, the forehead, and stuff, right? And I believe out of this, like it is almost impossible for somebody to hit a piece of stone on this person. 125 pounds of armor with a helmet covering the head. I think this is skill, not just some dumb luck that David developed. He knows how to use his sling. 
That's why in the Word of God, it is actually also explicitly mentioned that he, when Saul was trying to equip David with a sword, with an armor, with all the fancy stuff in life, David said that, I don't know how to use this. I'm not used to this. This is not my anointing. This is not who I am. This is not what God trained me. But God trained me through the simple, simple, humble, normal stuff to defeat the big giant that is sitting in front of me. And through the simple and humble things that he, that he mastered, he pinpointed the exact weakness. He hit the right spot because he knows exactly how a sling should work. He knows exactly how to operate that sling. He knows he mastered it in his life. And a lot of times, as Christian, as normal people, we just want to have the best and more equipment in life. And we're always using the reasoning like, I don't have such and such that I cannot defeat, that I am at a disadvantage. But let me tell you this, even through your humble beginnings, as you're using it and you're allowing God to train you, you will develop this precise skill that you can defeat the big giant in your life. What is the sling? and stone in your arms today. Maybe we've been underplaying it. Maybe we think that, ah, it's impossible, and we don't want to practice it, and we're just tossing it away. But I believe to have this, the real sense of security, let God train you that you will have the sense of security in God, and you will have the true, you know, security because you develop the skill that God is training you to have today. Maybe it's a simple thing. It, it could be in, uh, your study. It could be uh, the small little things that you're working on in your relationship. But it could be the foundation that you're training today that is going to save your long-term relationship in the future. It could be the simple thing right now, the stuff that you think that how is it going to make me survive this whole financial crisis. But it could be that very wise simple savings, the very simple uh, act of trying to manage your financial will be the thing that will prepare you for your bigger future. What is the thing, the small little things that God is asking us to be loyal in? Work on it. And I believe that is the thing that is going to grow and bloom, bringing us into the true security. Not just feeling, but actually being. Can I have the musician to come forward, please? See, I, I think this whole situation being in uncertainties, it really exposed a lot of truth about who we are. It exposed a lot of our fears. It exposed a lot of our fundamentals that are shaky. And maybe right now today, we're in a, in a situation where things seem to be like falling apart they're just being vibrating. They're just being like shaken to the very core. But I want to assure you, like sometimes before breakthrough, the shaking, the pressure is the most violent times that you can experience. Before the sudden boom and you start flowing, you start flying smoothly because you do not crack under pressure. 
I believe that God wants us to take us in, into that dimension. Passing through the drag of life, the drag of fear, the drag of uncertainties, and breaking it through where we started flying faster than ever before with Him. And the question is, do we want to keep on pushing on and not cracking under pressure? And in order to do so, I think we all need sometimes re be reminded that we need to have this sense of security and actually develop this true security in Him. So before we close uh, this service this morning, I just want to pray uh, with you if you're at home and you're watching and you're, you know that you're in a situation. You feel like you're shaky. You feel like you're under pressure and you just want to give up sometimes. You just feel like, I don't know how to survive this. And I'm just so stressed out. Let this be a reminder that our God is faithful and that He will walk us through. He will bring breakthrough in our lives. Let me pray together with you. Father God, wherever that we're watching right now, maybe we feel that we're hopeless. Maybe we feel that there's no way out. Maybe we just want to give up. But remind us that you're a faithful God and you, that you love us and there's nothing that is too late for you. And help us out, Lord, out of whatever circumstances that we're in right now. Not just as a bailout that we can go out of it without learning anything. But let it be an experience, Father, where we're, when we're coming out, we become stronger and learn, Lord, that you are faithful and that we will want to train under you and develop, Father, a true sense of security and skill together with you. And Lord, right now, I just want to pray that you will bring breakthrough, that you will bring peace, and that, Lord, that you will remind us always that we're not alone because you're with us. You're a good God, Father. We just want to thank you. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, we all pray.